0: We often say that farms and ranches are land rich and cash poor. When a family's wealth is tied up in assets like that, and there's an interest in continuing that business on into future generations, but not everybody in the next generation is going to come back to the farm. The challenge is how do you take all that family equity and distribute it fairly to the next generation. So it creates a real financial knot as to how to plan for the financial future when all of this capital is tied up in these assets, but fewer and fewer people are returning to the farm. Just creates a real conundrum for the parents.
1: Welcome to Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag. I'm your host, Clint Chaffer, and today we're going to be speaking with Lance Woodbury about the do's and don'ts of succession planning. Let's get right to it. Lance, welcome to the show. Uh, how about you introduce yourself to the to our listeners here? Sure. Uh, Lance
0: Woodbury, I am in Kansas City, technically Parkville, Missouri, but just a suburb of Kansas City near the airport. And uh, I help family farms and ranches with succession planning all over the U.S., but I'm based here in Kansas City. Now, always from
1: Kansas City, or did you move there?
0: I grew up here, interestingly enough, during the school years when I was younger. So elementary school, middle school, high school. My family is from western Kansas originally, so my dad chose not to farm, but my uncles and grandparents farmed, so I would spend my summers in far western Kansas. But my father uh, was a minister, and we moved to the inner city and then spent my summers on the farm.
1: Oh, wow. Nice.
0: Yeah. So inner city experience during the school years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I would imagine that gives you a, a, a really unique perspective of just uh, being able to see inner city to probably in the middle of nowhere, right? So the, you, you're kind of everywhere in between. Yeah. And in fact, sort of plays into the idea. I got a master's
0: degree in conflict resolution along the way. So I'm academically trained as a mediator. And I often say that having grown up in the inner city and the rural so we're a community in the summertime gave me sort of an ability to see different sides of issues, which helps when you're a mediator.
1: Well, speaking of, uh, of your job here, so I know at Pinion you, you wear a lot of different hats, but uh, explain to us what, what, what's your role at Pinion and, uh, and what do you focus your time on doing? You bet.
0: Pinion, uh, as many folks might know, is um, historically was an accounting and CPA firm. Name was Kennedy & Co. for many years, then Keiko Isom. Then we finally changed our name to Pinion as we've continued to grow and have helped family businesses with all kinds of accounting and tax. And and when you think about agriculture and farms and ranches, have helped with estate planning, have helped with organization for FSA uh, purposes and and help people just think about the future of their businesses, profitability planning and whatnot. And uh, my role specifically has been to use my mediation skills to help family farms and ranches navigate the process of transitioning the business from
1: one generation to the next. Now, is it, is it always on the, on the farm there, Lance, or is it other types of businesses as well that are, that are transitioning? I, Clint, I have worked with other types of businesses. The last 15 years or so, I've chosen to
0: focus most of my energy on production, agriculture businesses, farms, and ranches. Not because the issues are uh, all that different, but the emotional attachment to land that comes with the farm and the ranch and the vernacular, the culture of an agriculture business, the Passion, the lifestyle that people choose—all um, of that is somewhat unique to the industry. And I have found uh, just a sort of a greater sense of accomplishment helping farms and ranches have good discussions about the future.
1: So I, I you know, I mean, I—I'm familiar with uh, with, of course, agriculture. I come from a, from a family farm. My parents still farm, uh, but I would assume there's a lot of people that that might be listening that. May not know why succession planning is is such an important topic and a, and really a hot topic within agriculture. How would you explain just the importance of of that transition and and why it's such a such an important topic to to maybe somebody that that isn't familiar with with uh, with the family farm scenario? You bet, you bet. Well, well, as those
0: in farming know, and if you're not in farming, you'd, you'd be interested to know that the capital required, the financial commitment. That it takes to operate a farm or ranch is really significant and so we often say that farms and ranches are land rich and cash poor meaning that all of the family's equity is in land or is in equipment but the cash flow from those assets is you know is not huge it's it's not um it's it's not extremely high and so when a family's wealth is tied up in assets like that and there's an interest in continuing that business on into future generations, but not everybody in the next generation is going to come back to the farm or come back to the ranch, you know, over time people want to do other things and not everybody comes back to the farm. The challenge is how do you take all that family equity and distribute it fairly to the next generation? And so if somebody came back to the farm, say a daughter came back to the farm but her brother or her sister didn't and the parents want to keep the farm going do they give all their assets to that family member who came back or do they split them evenly among the kids but but if they do that how does the one kid who came back continue to operate if the others don't want to don't want to be invested in the farm or ranch and so so it creates a real financial not you know kind of not to or not all to sort of work through as to how to Plan for the financial future when all of this capital is tied up in these assets, but fewer and fewer people are returning to the farm. Just creates a real conundrum for the
1: parents. And and so on your example, you know the the daughter and the and the you know the the son and the other daughter, right? And and they're having that conversation. Two of them don't want don't want to farm. One of them does. Um, what's some of the complexity? You know, I mean, if the if the two other siblings want out of that operation and they want you know maybe to to you know liquidify the you know make make the land liquid right uh what are some of the processes there because because that is a that's a huge financial burden for the for the 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 individual that's actually going to farm right 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 and so clint if they're talking about that process early which is
0: what i try and get them to do is talk about that before it happens you have lots of flexibility you can create buy sell arrangements that allow a longer term for the one who is on the farm to buy out the siblings who didn't come back. Maybe there's some discounts that should be applied to that, um, to, to those kids as ownership interests to help the person who stayed on the farm be able to afford it. There's opportunities to buy life insurance on the parents to help create some liquidity so that, so that maybe the off farm kids can get cash and the on farm kid can get land or they can get cash and the on-farm kid can use that cash to buy out their off-farm siblings. So there's just, you know, you have lots of options if you're talking about that early. The problem with many family businesses is they tend to think, hey, because we're family members and we should all get along as family members, it'll all work out. It'll be okay. You'll get along with your brother and your sister and you'll figure it out. Well, it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, the reality is when we're talking about millions of dollars, Involved and really um, important choices about careers and families and other things. I just—it's just a high-stakes conversation. And to wait and and sort of take a chance that that's going to go okay after mom and dad have passed or when they're very old in life. I mean, that just—that's just putting a lot of risk into the operation that, frankly, is unnecessary. I mean, we can solve that stuff years ahead of when it actually happens if they'll
1: just have the conversation. So, so talking about that risk there, Lance. What is a worst case scenario that ends up happening? You know, if a if a family farm doesn't do that appropriate steps for succession planning, uh, w- really, what, what's a, what's a worst case scenario for that uh, for that family to to have to go through? Well, there's there's
0: sort of two worst case scenarios. One worst case scenario is just the person who's on the farm can't afford to buy their siblings out. And and because the parents just gave everybody everything equally, and so there's more wealth off the farm than there is on the farm. And so what starts to happen is they have to start liquidating assets in order, so the farm actually has to shrink, which is the opposite direction that farms are headed in agriculture for that to happen. But in even worst case scenario, and one that many listeners would be familiar with, is a family that starts fighting after mom and dad are gone, and they... All go and hire lawyers and accountants to represent their interest and and then we have to start selling assets to pay for other professionals to help the family fight and we all know neighbors or people around us I mean spending time on my family's farm in Western Kansas I mean you, you knew of families in the community that were just in a terrible terrible legal battle that not only cost the family financially but also ruined any relationship equity they had with each other as a family. Like they're never going to talk again. And and they're, they've wasted the equity they had built up in the farm that the parents worked for generations to build, now have spent on uh, attorneys and accountants and court processes and other things, drug out over years, and the family has no money and they have no assets and they have no relationships. So that's sort of... I don't need to paint a terrible picture, but you know that
1: that's happened in every rural community across the United States. No, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's important to to you know talk about that side of it as well, right? Uh, because I it, it is one of those where that's the last thing that you want to do. You know, I mean, you don't want to uh, to ruin the relationships that you have with your family members. Uh, and also waste, what I would say waste, um, that hard work and dedication that your parents have put into into building that operation up, right? Um, yeah.
0: yeah, it took generations, and and to see that get wasted over the course of five or ten years because people uh, didn't know what was going to happen, and so they built up expectations about how the transition was going to take place, and then it didn't go the way they expected,
1: so they lawyer up and start fighting. Now, one of the things that I was curious about is, is does this change or does the intensity change as you increase in, in operation size? So, I mean, is there, a, is there a large difference in succession planning when you're talking about a 500-acre farm versus a 4,000-acre farm? Uh, what what changes that's – a, that's
0: a really good question. What changes, Clint, is the options that you have in a larger farm to design – more creative solutions because of the, the, you know, more more quarters of ground or more financial wherewithal, you know, the, the chance to be able to use other assets to create a good estate plan or to even in some families say, hey, you take, you take this part of the farm, I'll take that part of the farm. If it's a big enough farm, you, you might be able to create a couple of farms out of that that, that provide a good living for the people who take those farms. So, so, I don't know that the intensity of emotion is any different, but the flexibility around the solution is different as you get to a larger farm. You just have more options to to do different
1: things. I know we we talk about just the the, the um, you know just the the amount of money that's that's wrapped into all of these assets, and a lot of times, of course're we're, we're always talking about land or thinking about land uh, in today's generation, equipment is, isn't, you know, it's, it's incredibly expensive nowadays, right. Yeah. Uh, especially for a younger farmer to, to try, you know, getting into, um, has that caused, you know, a little bit more heartache as, as you work through some of these, uh, succession plans as you're dealing with, you know, what used to be maybe a, a million dollars worth of equipment. Now you're dealing with $5 million worth of equipment. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I mean, what has changed is that the capital intensity continues to increase. I mean, I think think it the, for your listeners in Cotton Country. I mean, a cotton picker, you know, is I mean, I think it's north of, of seven or eight hundred thousand dollars, maybe approaching a million. I don't know. So that so the capital intensity has changed, and and at times the, the volatility of risk, you know, the the change in markets, what we see going on around the world. So the you know where when when I remember being a, a kid in the '80s on the farm in the summer and the wheat price might move two cents a bushel all summer. And now now you know, you can see it move a buck or two over the course of a few weeks or, or more sometimes. So that that increasing risk and then the, yeah, the increasing cost of equipment. And if you couple that equipment conversation just for a second, if you think about the tax strategies people use, oftentimes they'll use special tax techniques to depreciate the equipment faster. So the the cost of the equipment from a tax perspective has been written down. And when you go to transition that equipment, if the senior generation is going to sell the equipment to the younger generation, they're going to have to pay a lot of tax. So now you've added, because of this increased financial sort of wherewithal or cost, you you actually have um, increased the need for more sophisticated planning to manage the tax implications of the transition. So it, it starts to
1: turn into a fairly complex, complex animal. Well, tax is, a, is another one that I wanted to, to hit on too, Lance. I mean, uh, we hear a lot in the headlines, right? Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of administrative, you know, different administrations have, have talked about this and have put different uh, pieces into it. But whether it's called the estate tax or death tax, um, how has that changed over time and and, and where do you see that, you know, continuing to maybe impact the the family farm? Yeah, well, you know, the, the estate tax, um, the exemption has continued
0: to go up, uh, meaning the amount you can pass to the next generation without them having to pay estate tax, that has continued to increase. But again, when you're talking about land that is anywhere from two to $20,000 an acre, it does not take very many acres to get over the estate tax exemption uh, thresholds and so there's and con- you know you're at the end of the day you're not in control of what Congress does with that but you are in control under the current law you're, un- you're you're in control of how you can plan for that and if you put some thought into planning and have the right advisors around the table it is totally a manageable situation uh, e- even for really large estates that are over, at, at land at a market value are over this estate tax uh, threshold, which which is uh, 12 million for an individual or about 24 million for a couple. Um, e- even if you're over that, there are some techniques you can use that that our IRS has said it's okay to get your threshold, your, your amount kind of under that threshold. And uh, it's just a matter of planning. And so part of the message is, hey, you can, even though you can't control what the exemption amount is that's in Congress's hands or the president's hands, you can control how you respond to that government policy and and you can absolutely plan to minimize the effect of that. I mean, when there is so much in agriculture we cannot control between weather and markets and estate tax exemptions, I mean, we should
1: absolutely be planning around the things we can control, and that's something that is controlled man Lance, that's a that's a fantastic way to look at that uh control the controllables and uh and and plan plan ahead right um right. i got some right. wonderful advice there you, you were talking about earlier you know about uh maybe uh one of them coming back to farm and you know working on a, a maybe a discount for a for a land a land price mm-hmm. right um i seen an argument or a debate i should say uh posted on twitter and uh and they were talking about if a you know a mother and father can sell land to you know one of their uh, one of their children at a discounted rate now talk to me about that i mean what are what are some ways that maybe you know somebody could work with their parents to in order to 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 acquire some of that land at not not at some of these outrageous prices yeah
0: actually Clint, what what i often recommend is that you know, because there's such capital intensity in the land and equipment, if, if we don't need to trade dollars between generations, then don't have the kids buy out their parents. This is one thing that's a little different with agriculture. If the parents can gift the land to the next generation, they should do that because oftentimes parents don't necessarily need to sell land when they're in their 60s or 70s. They can continue to own that ground rent it to the next generation and that rent will provide their retirement income and then they can gift that land to the next generation. And there, there is some discounting, kind of a little different uh, tweak on your question. There's some discounting that can go on in those gifts. And then where you want the discount is when the family, like back to the, the sister and the sister and brother off the farm, when they finally want out of the farm, that's where you can have maybe a discount on the price of the land. But if the family is willing to keep all that capital together and and with, by keeping that capital, by keeping as Warren Buffett calls it, the snowball, if you can keep the snowball together, you know, it will spin off some cash that you can use to help pay the parents in retirement for their living or other things. But we don't want to, we don't necessarily want to have the younger generation buy the land from the parents because then the parents are stuck with a bunch of cash and that's harder to plan for from an estate planning perspective. We want to wait until it looks like capital is going to leave the system, leave the family. And that's where we want to talk about using discounts. But if everybody's comfortable staying in the farm, even the the brother and the sister who are off the farm, maybe they say, Hey, we're going to stay a part of it. If we can just get some dividends or some rental income, or a way to offset our careers that are off the farm that may work for them and you can keep the farm together. And that that's what I try and encourage people to think about is how do we how do we plan for we might be planning for a, a dissolution of the farm someday, but let's not let's not do that until we have to. Like let's let's know how we're gonna do it. But if everybody's comfortable keeping capital together, let's keep going.
1: Now, a a lot of times in succession planning, uh, I know a lot of people always think, hey, it's always about, you know, one of the kids coming back to farm and trying to figure out how to, to map that out, right? Um, what about in the case of nobody's coming back to the farm yet, <laughs> there's still a strong desire to, to keep that family farm together intact, keep the legacy going, even though somebody maybe in the neighborhood's going to end up farming it or so, you know, maybe multiple people would end up, uh, end up renting, uh, renting different pieces. How's that maybe a little bit different as opposed to us, you know, one of the kids coming back. Yep. Yeah. I have worked with several families
0: where we've. Looked at that question and taken different approaches. Um, in fact, working with family now where they're going to leave the farm to the employees.
1: Oh, wow. Um,
0: and so the employees are going to continue it. And actually, there's been two farms that I've helped do that. A couple other farms have left the farm in a foundation or a charitable uh, kind of uh, entity that lets the farm continue, lets people continue to farm that ground, and have even said, because it's a charitable entity, we're going to give the income to the community, so I'm a wow. trustee of a uh, foundation in Western Kansas, and that's that's there was a brother and a sister. They didn't have any heirs, so they left the assets together. But the beneficiaries of that income are the city of Garden City, Kansas, and Washburn University in Topeka, and a, and Community Congregational Church, in Garden City. But we keep the assets together, and that's helping some farms continue their legacy of farming and, and raising that ground that we own. So there there are some creative. Fun options. And those are really fun projects. Actually, when someone says, "Hey, I want to keep this going," I don't have any heirs. So, what are what are some things I could do? And you know, well, how charitable are you? What do you want to see with the employees that have helped you? How do you want to reward them? And those those are great conversations.
1: Uh ah. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to 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 think about all those different types of scenarios, right? Uh, again, I think uh, I think when a lot of us, even even in agriculture, when we're thinking about this, we kind of get locked into either our own personal situation or maybe ones that we're aware of, not knowing that there's this breadth of of opportunities out there. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's really at the end of the day the role that I see myself playing, and I have some colleagues that play this role as kind of a third party. In the family business it's to help ask some of those questions to help generate some of the ideas that help a family think a little bit differently about their future or maybe ask questions that are hard for them to ask of one another because of their family ties their family history but i you know i can ask a question i don't without a i don't have a dog in the hunt so to speak i'm just saying hey what's the best answer for the family Could we do this could we do that and i there's no baggage to that question from me where there might be baggage to the question from one of the parents to the kids or one of the kids to their siblings or those kinds of things
1: when you're when you're working with all these different operations uh you know i I would imagine you have many success stories of of you know folks that have went through this and and came out on the other side uh the, the way that you had hoped right um, is there a is there kind you know maybe a, a a common thread between all of those success stories that they did X Y and Z and every one of them did that in order to to create that success successful plan? Yeah, let me let me sort of dispel a myth that's out
0: there and that myth and it, and it's unfortunate because it's come because we use the word plan. So when we talk about a succession plan, that sort of uh, denotes that there is this document or this something that exists that you, and you even said it, like you get to the other side of something. The truth about succession planning is you're never done.
1: Mm.
0: You're never done. It's an ongoing process. I sometimes say it's not a plan, it's a muscle. And you got to exercise the succession muscle. Because as soon as you get that succession plan done, uh, somebody gets divorced, or somebody passes away, or a part of your business Grows, or part of your business uh, goes away. Uh, you know something happens and it changes, and and so I often say the families that approach it the right way are in kind of a continual conversation about what's the vision for the business, what role am I going to play in that vision, and how will my role change over time? What are the goals we have, and what's the communication process that we're going to use to keep talking about this? But but the industry itself. I think does itself a disservice by saying a succession plan because it leads people to think you can get you can be finished with six now you can be finished with an estate plan for a while because that's a technical plan where you're handing assets from one generation to the next you can have a plan it can be good and then congress changes a law and then you got to go do it again or you got to catch up to things right but a succession plan Businesses change all the time. They're growing living organisms. And to think that we're going to actually have this succession plan and we're going to have it on this piece of paper, and then all of a sudden we're on the other side of it, it, it just doesn't happen. I mean, it, families continue to have changes. They continue to think differently about their business. They continue to evolve. They continue to get more professional. You know, they continue to be encroached upon by cities if they live too close to the city. You know, I mean, all kinds of things happening. And it just causes you to be in a, in a kind of a constant. So the families that view it plant as a constant conversation, I think, or a regular conversation that has some rhythm to it. Those are the families that handle it well because they say, look, we just, we're just we going to need to be continually nimble about how we approach the future of the farm and what people want to do. I mean, somebody decides to come back at age 35 after being a lawyer somewhere or doing something. I mean, that, that wasn't in the plan. So now, yeah, so 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 stop looking at it as we get done. We don't get done. We continue to exercise this muscle of planning for the future of the farm, and that's a succession plan.
1: Yeah, now that you got me thinking on on that too. I mean, I would imagine just the overall health of the operation over time as well would come into play if you have other siblings that are you know pulling an income or involved in some manner. Uh, Mother nature throws curveballs. Every now and then, right? And uh, so I'd imagine, you know, again, now that you got me thinking on that, it is it is kind of a, a continuous path, right? Right, right. And the families that think about it like that, I think,
0: tend to do better. Because, I mean, I have, I've been at it long enough, uh, 25 years or so, that, you know, I'm working now with with even kids or kids that weren't even born when I first started working with two generations. And now we're working with a third generation that's starting to take over. And, and it is just a kind of a continual, you know, it's not every month or, you know, it's not overwhelming, but, but strategically every few years or once a year we're getting together or at certain stages of transition, we're meeting pretty heavily just to say, how do we make sure our family, our relationships as shareholders and our work as colleagues in the business, how do we keep that all in balance?
1: Well, one of the other, other pieces here, I guess that, uh, that I think, you know, may, maybe a lot of our listeners would be interested in as well is is we talk about this topic, but where, where's the best place to go get resources? How, how does, how does somebody get, you know, put in touch with a professional like yourself to, to help navigate some of these? Uh, cause I, I know that can be a little overwhelming and, and challenging, right? Uh, just, uh, yep. just to maybe get that first step going. Yeah. The, um, Well, it is a hot topic right now,
0: and so between all of the publications in agriculture, you know, I write for Progressive Farmer, but all of the publications generally have articles that address succession planning. A number of extension programs at land-grant universities have folks that are tuned into this and offering seminars. A number of associations, whether livestock associations or commodity groups are starting to focus on it i often tell people start with your accountant and attorney in other words uh and a lot of times people sort of have their accountant in a box well they just do tax returns or they their attorney just does you know uh, agreements when they have a transaction around a land sale well chances are your accountant and your attorney have seen some things and have other clients that have dealt with it i say the way to start is get your accountant and attorney in the room together and everybody says, oh, well, my gosh, that'll be an expensive meeting, several hundred dollars an hour to have them both in the room. What you will save in efficiency by having your accountant and attorney in the room together with their wisdom of having worked with other businesses, guiding you on, hey, how do we start to talk about this succession plan and, and estate plan? I mean, I, that, that's really the place to start. And, and people often call me and I, I will say, look, I think I hear some questions to ask your accountant and attorney. Start there. They know you. You don't have to pay for another professional to get up to speed. They've got other clients that are going through it. Look in your backyard for some of those resources first. Um, but then, yeah, use the university extension. Use the associations. A number of banks are offering seminars and things like that on succession planning. Farm credit has been, a in certain associations, has been a big promoter of succession planning opportunities. So lots of resources out there that can help get you moving down the path.
1: Well, you know, I'm just sitting there, sitting there thinking. I know a uh, Dad's accountant is his attorney as well, so that's like, a, that's like a two in one right there. So that's right, that's right, that's right. You got to use that. You got to use it when you can get it. Yeah, Sometimes yeah, no. people say,
0: people will say, "Man, that having a, a good advisor, I mean, it's just so expensive." And I'm like, if if you think the cost of a Good advisor is high. Wait till you see the cost of a bad advisor. Bad one. Yeah. <laughs> that, that. That'll talk to your barn big time. So, <laughs> so it's worth, you know, people think about these as expenses and really they're, they're investments. In other words, I know that it's expensive to hire someone to help you through this, but really you're investing. And if you if you sort of capitalize that expense over 30 or 40 or 50 years, whatever you can keep that land and that operation going, It's really peanuts compared to the cotton picker we were talking about at the beginning (laughs) of the people will spend $300,000 on a tractor, but it'll get freaked out over $5,000 spent on succession planning or $30,000 or, or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, man, those, those are really investments in the future of the family and future of the business.
1: Well, I tell you what, I, just the, as, we, as we get uh, get close to the end here, I was just kind of curious, uh, what would be that one piece of advice that if there's some listeners out there that are thinking about succession planning, what's that one piece of advice that you'd give them?
0: Yeah. Clint, I often say that in the absence of a good story, people make one up. And so what happens in a family business is we're not telling the story about what's going to happen to the farm in the future. And so people make up what they think is going to happen. Well, I'm going to receive an equal amount of this, or my parents are going to hand it off when they're 65. When in reality, they're probably not going to hand it off till they're 85 or 90. I mean, that, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of expectations that get built up. And so my one piece of advice is just talk about it as a family. And you may not want to do it over Thanksgiving because that can elevate the tension in the room and whatnot. But the point is, have a conversation about the family. Where you just say what is it that people want for the future let's just start there what do people want to see for the future of this farm and by having that conversation you can oftentimes avoid a lot of assumptions a lot of wasted energy a lot of planning that is you know not necessary or not needed if you just say what do we all want for the future let's tell that story let's tell that story of the farm down the road and what people want to see and, and that can just help the family so much if people will open up about that.
1: Well, you, you just mentioned the, the holidays and of course they're, uh, right around the corner here. Uh, we're actually recording this the, the day before Thanksgiving here. So, uh, Lance, what are, uh, what are some, uh, some family traditions that, uh, the, the that the, your household may, uh, may do. Yeah, we, we, I
0: don't know that I have, we have any special traditions. We, you know, we try to get together. Um, uh, I'm, We're not in business together as a family. (laughs) So we we often say uh, people that are in this line of work say sometimes we're running from our own stuff. Meaning, you know, the reason I got here was because I saw two uncles farm right across the road from each other and not speak for 20 years and they were my uncles. And so I was, you know, I I was affected by that. Um, But when it comes to, you know, holiday traditions, I mean, just spending the time and, and, reconnecting you know because we're all over the country doing different things so uh just we really relish that chance to get together and reconnect
1: now yeah, absolutely i think that's uh, that's fantastic well you also talked about writing for a uh, progressive farmer uh you got a website that uh that folks can go out and uh, maybe read some of your articles i do in fact if you go to just lancewoodbury.com uh all of my progressive farmer
0: articles are there i've written a couple of books i do a um uh blog about every week called the faith and family business blog where I try and tie in elements of of what you believe uh to what you should do in your family business and it has a biblical perspective to it and then we also write a monthly newsletter with various perspectives but all of that can
1: be found at lancewoodbury.com it's fantastic well, that brings me to the last section here of this podcast, but we got we to gotta end with a little bit of this or that. So okay. uh, one of the important questions I ask uh, every guest on here uh, is there's a, an ongoing debate. Is it auger wagon or grain cart? Grain cart. Grain. Ah, oh, man. You know, my... <laughs> The list of people in my camp, Lance, is pretty darn small. I was hoping to get somebody it's else here.
0: As you as you go from west to east, is there a geographic divide on that
1: question? Or no? it, it seems like if I move a little bit south, I've talked to some southern uh, Southern Illinois farmers uh, that that get into my camp of auger wagons. So it's I don't know. I, I would assume it's probably a, you know geographic aspect. So yeah, yeah. rain carts for sure. How about <laughs> uh, mountain or beach? Mountain mountain nice rain or snow rain because i am from western
0: kansas in the summers and we'll take all of what we can get <laughs> how about tea or coffee
1: coffee yeah there we go and last one android or iphone iphone yep iPhone. i'm i'm right there with you well, Lance, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I just want to say thank you to, to, you know, for jumping on our show here and, uh, and taking us through this incredibly important topic that, uh, I know a lot of families try to avoid, but, uh, everybody needs to be, uh, be planning accordingly and, and having these conversations. So thank you. You bet. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, a big thank you to Lance for joining us here on Around the Farm. That was a wonderful conversation and a very important one as well. And thanks to you, the listener. And if you like this podcast, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend or two as well. And as always, Around the Farm is brought to you by Climate Field View and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts at. And until next time, we'll see you Around the Farm.